Pretty Mental is about accepting our full selves and inspiring others to do the same by being daringly unfiltered. This means completely normalizing all things mental health and the wild journey that has brought us here. We are challenging the stigmatization of normal human suffering, and we are done pretending and subscribing to the notion that it is taboo to have challenging mental health experiences. Welcome to the Pretty Mental Health Club, and enjoy the show. Hey, Valentina. Hey, Paula. And hello, everybody. And welcome to another episode of Pretty Mental. Today is a really, 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 really special episode for my heart because it is an episode to honor Leah, my kitty, that was with me for four of the most transitional, pivotal years of my life. And she recently passed away. And so we had a really, our good friend, amazing yoga teacher, wise woman, TJ Mangram, join us in this conversation, honoring animals, what they mean for us, what they have taught us in our relationship to life, in our relationship to death, in our relationship to ourselves and how they have helped to evolve our understanding of grief or just death in general, how it has helped to evolve our understanding of grief and and how that in turn evolves our understanding of life. All of that to say, this is a really special, powerful, deep episode. And TJ even guides us through, in her infinite wisdom, a delicious, amazing meditation for sitting with grief in a really beautiful way. So any of you that may be experiencing some form of that um, can close your eyes and, and join in with us when that uh, when that part of the podcast comes on. Yeah, that was, you know, we actually, that meditation started in the recording time at 2.22 and we ended I saw it at, that. at 3.33. No way. So it's around 10 minutes for those who maybe if you don't want to listen to it, I suggest that you do because it was su- anytime TJ speaks, honestly, it just will melt your soul. So I suggest you listen to it. It's super relaxing, but during 10 minutes, this is an amazing episode. Anytime that we can talk about death, I'm all for it because I really want to reframe the way that our society looks at it. And I have a personal fascination with impermanence and death and just surrendering because that to me is the equivalence of life. So to really really understand and dive into and live life we it knowing death and understanding death and embracing it for all that it is and all that it signifies is really important so while this was an episode about um that is dedicated to noodle and talia and and we talk about how special our animals are to us we definitely did dive into the concepts of grief and death and life and endings and impermanence and a whole bunch of juicy goodness. So this is going to be an awesome one. You guys, I'm excited for you to listen. And with that pretty mental family, take in a deep breath with us.
and tune in. All right, you guys, and before we start the episode, I want to introduce our sponsor, Resonate with Sarah, a digital agency that runs YouTube ads, Google ads, Facebook ads. They run organic social media and so much more. Email copywriting, uh, digital copywriting, basically all of your digital needs. And I love them because they're all about using the master's tools to to basically play in this the game of this world. So they don't stray away from topics of creating ads on the internet and bringing in more money because a lot of people typically, especially if you're doing some kind of like spiritual work, they say, I shouldn't have to call in their or I, I shouldn't be asking for more money for my services. These are just my gifts. But that's not what this is about. As we learned with the podcast with Alexander James, calling in money is it's and money is an energetic. And resonate with Sarah is completely aligned with that. And they want to align you with that. And they want to introduce you to the world and amplify you to the world and your messages and your offerings. And to not shy away from bringing in boatloads of money because as Sarah, the CEO always says, fill my cup so I can fill up the cups of others. Mm-mm-mm. We love resonate with Sarah. Check our show notes to read more about the company and dive into their services. And with that pretty mental family, it is time to tune in. It is March 14th, 2021. We are calling in our ancestors, our angels, our spirit guides. We are aligning with the highest versions of ourselves. We are opening ourselves up as portals for whatever messages want to come through for the highest healing of ourselves, for the highest healing of this community, and for the highest healing of everyone that they come in contact with. We are opening ourselves up. The portal is open. TJ Mangrum. Hi. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> back, 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 back. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Yes. This is this podcast was initially set to be recorded a couple days ago, but it sounds like <laughs> the, the, I think that the universal forces wanted us to take a couple more days. So oh my God. You know what's so crazy? So I get this intuitive reading or yeah, um, that's not what it's called, a horoscope reading every single morning to my inbox by Bondi Guru, B-O-N-D-I-G-U-R-U. It's free. You guys should sign up for it. She's amazing. And she literally said in my thing, she goes, you, there's something that you need to like, or a project or something that you need to drop for a few days so more clarity can come in. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was right (laughs) after our, we had to bail on the podcast because of all the technical stuff. (laughs) I was like, yep. <laughs> by the end of that, we were just cracking up by the end of the podcast. Like, it I was, I went to go do laundry that night in this like open laundry room. I was by myself and I could not stop laughing. I could not stop, because those technical difficulties where they're just, they became so funny after a while. Uh, okay. So here we are. So the intention of this podcast was to honor animals and what they have represented for us and it was specifically brought on or inspired by the passing of my kitty leah who now passed away a couple weeks ago 
And wow. it's so strange how time passes in all <laughs> Valentina's eyes. <laughs> Valentina's going through a definite disillusionment of attachment to time right now. That's been <laughs> happening for two years. It's just every new thing that happens. I'm like, yeah, it's fake. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. So I've had two deaths, two experience, close experiences with death that have shaken me to my core to, you know, use TJ's words from last time we spoke. And the first one was Maria Michis, who the first podcast ever of this pretty mental platform was um, about was that relationship. And the second one is this kitty. It's so strange. I still, I walk into my room. I'm staying at my parents' house right now, but still I, I walk into my room and I haven't, my brain hasn't entirely caught on that like she's not physically here. So I wanted to start out with the story of how it all happened because it is full of so many synchronicities. And this is an experience that I've had with both of those deaths is that the the whole kind of timeline around their passing becomes almost poetic in the way that everything aligns. It's like I start receiving communication from the universe and guides left and right, preparing me for that point. You know, it's very strange. It's, you know, whatever you believe or don't believe for me, there's around those times of, of death there, there comes in like extra support and extra understanding to kind of prepare me for and help me settle in afterwards. And so here's the thing with Leah. It started actually in August was the first time that we saw symptoms. And um, it, it just seemed like allergies. And it kept coming back every month. We would give her the cortisone, you know, to try to get rid of it. And then it came back and it got worse. And I took her to specialists at UGA and I was just trying to figure out. And I'm like, these dang allergies. And I just, I had a feeling. I was like, I don't know. I feel like as many food trials as we do, like, this isn't about the food. I don't know what's happening. And on February 15th, she stopped eating. And then over the next four days, I watched her get weaker and weaker and weaker. And that was hard. That was really hard. I almost started feeling like afraid to to see her because I, I, I could, it was like, you're watching somebody you love just start deciding to leave this earth. And then on the 22nd, we took her to the vet. My mom picked her up to a vet that we trusted here in Alpharetta that has seen all the family. And he finally did a scan and they found a tumor in her intestines. And she told me that night because she didn't want to tell me while I was still with clients. And it wasn't, they didn't know if it was benign, or, but I knew like, this is, you know, you know. And I sat her, she was always sitting next to me when I was with clients. And so I sat her next to me for the next four days. And and she was just leaving more and more and more. And I was moving out of the apartment where we lived together that Saturday. And I knew, I kind of knew, I knew. And my mom kind of had a feeling, like she would kind of try to say it. And I kind of knew, but we didn't want to say it. It felt like that Saturday was a deadline. Like the movers were coming that day. It just felt like. And the, that night, I mean, it was, I started force feeding her that week, but even that I was like, this is just, we're just playing here. You know, like she's, that night I had a dream that I woke up with it, like imprinted in my psyche. 
I was in this room and suddenly I saw this tribal man, like this just very indigenous tribal man. His hair was shaved and he just had a long ponytail. And I panned down and his teeth were like cat teeth. And right behind him was um, a tiger. And I felt like both like a strong sense of feline energy. And then in that same room, somebody was cutting my hair. And I remember them not wanting them to cut my hair, but allowing it anyways. And then in that moment, like I woke up in that whole experience. And I woke up and I was like, where's Leah? And she wasn't anywhere. She normally would sleep next to me. I'm like, something is, you know, and I found her in a closet in the other room. And I picked her up. She did a noise she had never done before. And she could no longer use her legs. And, you know, I knew. Crazy thing is, like a month before, I had scheduled an aura photograph with um with our friend Charlie. And something was telling me, like, go get this photograph taken. Just capture the energy of this moment. Just go, you know. And I knew it was, like, down to the deadline. The movers were coming at 3. The photograph was at 12 on February 27th. I took a shower, put Leah in the bathroom because she always loved being with me when I was showering. And I, and I knew I was like, this is going to be our last shower together. And then I just lay there with her and I covered her and I kissed her and I recorded it because I had a feeling it was the last moment. And it was. And I said goodbye and I left to get this photograph. And within that span of time, my mom came to pick her up to take her to the vet one more time. And she died in the car with my mom around that was Charlie took the picture, you know, and the first picture came out like all red and it didn't come out right. You know, it was just like all red. And I was like, oh, that seems on brand. (laughs) She's like, you're you know, it makes sense that you've I hadn't told her about Leah. She's like, you're trying to ground yourself like, you know, during a move. And I'm like, yeah, there's a couple of reasons. And then right after that, she I got a call from my dad. He's like, you have to go to the vet. And so she had just in that moment died. We're like, let's take the picture one more time. And I grounded myself. And this is what came out. You know, if you can see that, it's all compassion and, you know, those energies. But the crazy thing was that I scheduled that picture a month before. And I scheduled it for the time and, and day of Leah's passing. And so I went there and... By the time I got to the vet, I mean, she was already gone, but I just picked up her little body, hugged it and kissed it. And and that was it. Then I went to the movers and we got everything out the apartment. And that was the home she ever lived. That was the only home she ever lived in. She got me through like the most transitional time of my life. One of them, grad school training, learning to do this work, all of that. It's wild the way grief works because it really feels like a slow erosion of the physical attachment to that being in a physical form. I feel like with every moment I have of tears or every wave of emotional energy that washes over me in regards to coming to terms with the ending of our physical connection, that the the physical attachment to that being is kind of being cleansed. Yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful for the time I got to spend with that animal, you know, I thought we were going to live like, you know, at least 10 more years together, but her plan was different. She left, she, the timing and everything, she left when she needed to leave. And I remember thinking like over the next few days, like, wow, death is so 
death is such a silent experience, you know, because if you have a fight with somebody in real life or something changes, like you can kind of take action, you can do something, you can enact your will on on life. But when you encounter death, that's the ultimate surrender. You kind of you have no choice. And it is for me every time with Maria the first time and this time I feel it very strongly. It's a it's another layer of surrendering of the ego. We have two options. We can either in the face of death tighten up even more and become even more controlling to try to avoid anything like this happening or we can just accept that this is a part of life and it's what we were saying TJ that the proportion to which we love is equivalent to the proportion at which we grieve and actually you were the first person in the middle of all that that said to me like you know you don't have to be okay yeah hearing your story which thank you for sharing that i'm gonna cry but it's just <laughs> it's that the idea that after noodle noodle is my dog that was everything for me and the day that he passed the support that i got was pure right like my in-laws came over my husband was there my stepchildren were there and they you know my father-in-law was like, oh, well, tell us funny stories about Noodle. And that was very generous in a very positive, a way of positively spin something that hurt so badly. But also, I didn't want to be okay. I didn't want to have to smile for someone else. I didn't want to make someone else comfortable with my discomfort. And I think that that's something that gets lost a lot. I think that we, we tend to have this idea that we're supposed to just be okay. We have a certain time frame to not be okay, but then we have to be okay. Or we can't, I don't want to make, I didn't, I didn't want to make my father-in-law unhappy. I, I didn't have the courage at that time to say, I don't want to be around anyone. I can't. I didn't have the courage and I faked it, right? I put up a facade that everything was okay. I had a glass of wine. Like it was, but it wasn't okay. And I didn't know how to, to, to ask for the space to not be okay. So that's why I said that to you, because we don't have to be okay. And it just, maybe if someone would just give us permission to not be okay sometimes, so we could actually honor the mourning pain for ourselves. And yes, it is attachment, right? Threads of attachment. Like you said, you walk into a room and you're, you're still not used to Leah not being there, right? Those are threads of attachment. And they each each little thread has its own space to be honored and mourned. And so, yeah, you don't have to be okay ever. If you want to be or if things change, cool. Then that moment, things are different. But right now, don't even worry about it. Just you don't have to be okay. Yeah. At this point in our relationship to emotions, I'm like, ain't nobody making me keep this emotion in. <laughs> Yeah. Because then it's just going to stay there. You know, like even even just 10 seconds, you know, a minute ago when I was crying, it, it was just coming up. It's it's moving energy. And then if I allow it without any resistance, then it's lighter. You know, like I tell my clients, like every time that an emotion is coming up or an emotional pain is is surfacing, we have a tendency to get scared because we think I'm going deeper into it and th there's that thought or at least the way that we've learned to relate to this stuff is 
I'm going to get stuck there or something. But really what's happening is that the energy, that part of the emotional energy is making its way out. And that's what the grieving process is here to help us with. I experience it as this form of emotional cleansing, if I allow it, which is interesting, right? Because then the other part of the attachment is like, I don't want to. I'm not sure I want to be cleansed of this. You know, there's my psyche still doing something where I imagine her like sitting next to me. Like I can feel like the the visualization forces and, and she actually probably is. I don't know. I can see her there, right? Like I don't want to. I want to remember every single little detail, but she's not physically there. You know, so it's going to be like a back and forth between acceptance and reaching out and then sadness and then acceptance and they're going to come at different times and you kind of just have to I, I well, I've learned in the grieving process you kind of just have to learn to just ride those waves and they're they're it's a really powerful teacher <laughs> she's still giving you gifts <laughs> constantly remember causing you to remember one of the things grieving one of one of the things grieving taught me was boundaries right like staking claim in the moment that I'm not okay and I don't have to be for anyone around me and that happens all the time I mean I'm about to be at two years of losing noodle and it still happens it still happens and I still have to tell my husband like I need you know I'm gonna go upstairs by myself this is not this isn't about you <laughs> you didn't I just I'm sad and I want to honor this the sadness. I want to sit with it. I want to like look at it. I want to see it. I want to witness it. So even after noodles pass, he's still teaching me, still helping me remember boundaries, you know, self-reflection, honoring myself, still giving me gifts. Yeah. What do you think, you know, and this is kind of part of what I wanted to reflect on with, with both of you guys too, was just what did these animals come here to represent for us? Like, you know, it's such an interesting relationship. Love, unconditional <laughs> love, curiosity, ecstatic experience, forgiveness, detachment. They feel like little spirit good. guides, little <laughs> spirit guides guiding us. I remember when I had Bella it was a time in my life when I slept the best. There was a time where I went through some serious sleeping issues. But when I had Bella, it was like every night she would just hold it for me. And I would knock out until the next morning. There are spirit guides for certain times in our life, which Paula, I know you can relate to that because it's just so crazy. The fact that you literally got Leah probably very soon after you moved into that apartment and the day you moved out is when she left. So she came to be with you during a very specific time. Yeah. During a very specific time. Yeah, I got her. I wasn't even there for a month and I was like, I have to, I have to go get an animal. And the thing is that she, then I, on her birth certificate, it showed that she was actually born the day that I left my parents' house. Cause I came to live with my parents for a very uh, short amount of time when I was in grad school, like two months. And, and then it was time to head out, but she was born the day that I left my parents' house. And then I got her and just coincidentally, you know, a month later I picked her up and then she hung out with me for those four years and she said, it's time to go. Actually, I was in a deep meditation kind of connecting with her energy a week and a half ago in the moment that I opened my eyes and looked at a video of her going, you know, do, doing this little paw thing that she used to do to me. 
to try to get my attention and get me to pet her. The lyric of this song came on by East Forest that said, my love, was it East Forest? I hope I'm getting that right. That my love is here to remind you, find your center. And that's what it is. You're here to bring us back home. It's such a pure love with the animals that I think if we listen, it opens up a space for us to return to the original intention. I don't I'm not sure what this life is entirely about, and I'm not going to be able to answer that uh, probably until I'm off in some spirit world. But it feels like everything in my life has been here to teach me to return to myself, every relationship, every experience. And the moment that I get I begin to get lost in that experience or that relationship being the source of where I get my love. It feels like the universe always comes in and intercedes and it's like, uh-uh, no, like you're getting lost. This love is here to, to guide you. This love is here to buffer you, but this isn't where the wellspring of your connection with source is meant to come from. So it's a returning to the self. I think that I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to say this. I think we're each going to have our own individual experience with our animals, right? And that's that's your experience. But my, but not all, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like, I don't know how to say this, but like not all experiences are going to be like that. Like not all dog, not all doggos are going to do that for their people. I don't know. I feel like for Noodle, it feels even, I don't know. My relationship with Noodle wasn't, it was like infinite. It wasn't just like a moment or 14 years. It was infinite. And it feels like a little bit different. I, maybe it's the same thing as you're saying or a similar thing that you're saying, reminding, you know, re- remember that to tap into source and that you are, you are everything and you are nothing. But for some reason, Noodle felt like, like a piece of me. Like he was part of that source. Like he was as much that source in me as I, as the the quote unquote I am, right? Like I don't, he seemed my equal part. I don't know how to explain that. Well, I want to hear, or Valerie, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, depending on where your belief system lies, I also do believe that animals can reincarnate as your soulmate or your soulmate can reincarnate, one of your soulmates, you know? can reincarnate as your animal, as your, your guide. I don't believe that animals are just animals. They're also one of your, and not all of them, not all of them will come in as one of your soulmates, but there are sometimes you do have a relationship with one that's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, this connection goes through back through lifetimes. Like we've known each other. Yeah. I mean, I know this is, take this as you want, as, as however you want to translate this, but I have an experience, I have a remembering of just being a light, like a ball of light with with Noodle. <laughs> we were circling, we were lights circling one another for however long. And I can, I have been able to tap into that experience and question it and look at it. And it's, it's completely full and complete. And it's a, it's like a, a complete circle. There's nothing, le- there's nothing there's no gaps. There's nothing missing. And it's just like, when I question, I look at it, like, why does this, why did, why did we do this? Why was this, why do I remember this? And it's because there was, 
it was just like a a ball of love. It was a pocket of love. We were fueled entirely by only love. The internet just went out. The animals, I think we could take it as the animals keep wanting us to have a moment and slow down and not be overwhelmed. <laughs> so weird. Is so This crazy. never happens. So this might feel like a quick jump, but just follow along with us. My experiences with death have humbled me and brought me to my knees because they've made me realize that no matter how much will I want to enact upon a situation, how much I yearn for that connection still, it is not up to me. Yeah. It's not up to me. There's absolutely nothing you can possibly do. There's nothing. There's no voodoo or enchantress or witchy woman you can go to to make it not be as it is. There's nothing. There's nothing. And we we could try everything sometimes. Try everything. Like talking it, to Segura. Talking to Segura, which I'm still going to do. So uh, Segura... Sagrera is a, a woman, a, an animal intuitive. I mean, she talks to like bees in her backyard. She's she's pretty cool. I saw we I, she came on a yoga retreat of that I I co-led, and there was a a bundle of bananas right by where we were eating, and there was one of those giant banana spiders that are like the size of my face, and it was crawling down, and she literally went over and like whispered to it, "Hey." You're, you're scary to some of these women. Do you mind crawling up until after we finish eating? And it swear to God, it crawled up to the top of the banana thing and away from us. Like she is anyway, but she's, I, I spoke with her a lot after noodle passed as a way of trying to bring him back in a way to enact some will on it. Yeah. Uh, like death. And, and you know, it's the work that I do in psychology is so I specialize in helping people overcome control issues, essentially. That's what I do. And death is the ultimate teacher of that. Because no matter what I want, it's not up to me. So at that point, I better just get on my knees and say, okay, I am listening. Where do you want to take me now? That's every single day, though, right? As you're talking, what just keeps coming up for me is the blog post that I wrote, the great surrender talking about how it's every single moment of every day is asking us to surrender to death in all forms, which the death of maybe a plan that we thought was going to happen, but did it the death of a job, the death of a friendship of a relationship of something life is a series of endings and, and rebirths. And it's all practice for that last final surrender. And it's funny because, so I was telling my therapist about the, how for like two weeks or something, I was seeing the word death everywhere and I didn't want to say anything, anything to anyone because it's kind of freaky. It's kind of freaky. And I didn't know what it meant. And I, I mean, literally I would type things out of my phone and auto that had nothing to do with the word D starting with D or E, it would auto correct to die. Or death. I was like, what the fuck does this mean? Is it some like metaphorical death? And that's just what I kept thinking. And then finally, I was like, okay, the answer is it's been two weeks. Nothing is clear. I'm going to ask Paula because Paula has very prophetic dreams. So I wanted to see if maybe she had anything that dealt with that. 
you know, could answer some things for me. And I texted her and I was like, hey, random, but I've been seeing the word die or death everywhere. Like, does that mean anything for you? And what was it? Was it like right before? Oh, it was like right when we found out she had a tumor. I was like, I was like, well, we just found out Leah has a tumor. So the three, she was telling us she was, I don't know. Everything is so connected. It really is. And I brought that story up because when I was talking to my therapist about it, I wanted, you know, just telling her and she was like, Valet, life is the same thing, like moments of death left and right and rebirth left and right. And and that's why if you follow me on Instagram, like all I tell people all day, every day on my stories is just to fucking surrender, just surrender. Now you can just let go of so much pain. It's still going to hurt. But the resistance is what causes even more, even more pain. It's kind of like we just have to melt into the stuff that's thrown at us into the pain and into everything. Cause when you just melt with it, you, you allow it to take you to the places that it needs to take you so you can keep going. Yeah, I feel it, it's, it's kind of like the floating down the river metaphor. And if we, if we just allow grief to move through us in the way that it needs to, it can be like the big grief of a death or, you know, the grief of a job loss or the grief of transitions or whatever these griefs are. If we just can humble ourselves before it enough, it will take us. It feels like life picks you up in that moment and cradles you when you stop resisting. And that becomes the co-creation. Because I, this is a, a tendency that I had was to surrender so deeply or accept so much. And I was just like, well, everything can just go. You know, the pendulum can swing to that extreme as well of eh, whatever. Like kind of, kind of like you can sometimes get confused between acceptance and apathy. And I did have a tendency to take it to that place too. Where I was like, I don't have, I can't do anything about the way that life is going to go. You know, after Maria died, that there was a tendency for apathy very much so in my system. So like the pendulum swung from being a total controlling perfectionist individual, which I was before that happened. Like not one thing was out of place in my room <laughs> to like, whoo, F it. You know, and I, in, at that level of understanding, I under, I, I interpreted that as acceptance. Now I know that it was apathy. There was acceptance in there and the teaching was there, but I needed more time for that seed to cultivate so I could have a more well-rounded understanding of it. And now at this point with Leah's passing, it does feel more well-rounded. I'm going to read the poem that I wrote to dedicate to her that I posted on Instagram, but it just in that moment, I captured what I'm trying to say here. Can I ask you something really quick yeah. before you jump into that between apathy and acceptance? I think that that's a, that's, can you just elaborate on how, cause I'm sure there's people listening to this that they're like, maybe I am teetering on the, on the verge of apathy. Like, am I, have I fully accepted it in the most human way? Or am I just like not giving a fuck about literally anything? Yeah. Like that woman, that meme of that woman on the roller coaster with her arms crossed. And it's like, when life has like fucked with you so much, like nothing bothers you anymore, but that's not it either. Because then you're not, then you're just, that's not it. I think, well, actually I think this, this poem or writing that I did gets to the heart of it. Life is like a dream. Here today, gone tomorrow, then something new is born. Life asks of us that we have the courage to live this process with deep intensity of feeling, allowing ourselves to fully feel every love, every heartbreak, every bond, every loss, every single moment of connection to really live. This animal gave me the most beautiful bond I could have imagined for four of the most transitional years of my life. 
I miss her. At the same time, I understand that her journey here is over and I honor that. The deepest teachings of my life have come from the experiences of grief. There's a beautiful gift to be found here. So you can tell in that writing that I'm still meeting life with the courage to feel it. Right. Like apathy, You when you swung your pendulum from caring and being what you would you call called a control freak, right? Is that the word you use? Yeah. Control yeah. freak. Uh, to being completely disengaged. The motivation for that generally is if I care about anything, then I have to care about that as well. I have to care about the pain and the grief and the sadness and the loss. So instead, I'm just not going to care about anything. I'm going to numb, put up blinders so that I don't see anything. I don't feel anything. I'm not experiencing anything because this right now is more manageable than feeling at all. And then this time with Leah, you're like, well, let's take a bath in it. This is my, this is where I live now. (laughs) (laughs) I will love and I will lose. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, based on what you just said, I, we can maybe understand that apathy is another version of control. Yes, absolutely. Or like a defense mechanism for your body because it's just so painful. That sounds like what, how trauma gets, how trauma happens too. Like you're, you kind of just freeze and then like all those emotions get buried inside and for, and you carry them with you for a long time until you're finally able to release them from the cells of your body. Yeah. Well, I was able to feel a ton of emotions when Maria died, but that was more of like the defense mechanism I had a tendency to turn to just by the, my temperament, which was before it was the control was I will care so freaking much that whatever I set my mind to, I will get it. Yeah, her room was literally pristine. I remember that. And then I remember after she died going in your room and I was like, oh my God, she stopped giving any fucks about anything. You really did. I remember that just so you were like, almost like living a rock star life. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) She really was like, well, F it. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to get back the like, the come back to the pristineness you know we're trying to find a balance here <laughs> trying to we're trying to stop swinging from so many pendulums to pendulums um extremes to extremes but yeah i mean the apathy for me as i understand it for myself wasn't an, it's another form of control it's like okay if i don't care you can't hurt me so i'm still in control and i did that in relationships too you know i just kind of learned that like before it was like i would care so much that if i tried hard enough i could get it which is trying to control it still to, I don't care. So I'm still in control. Well, you can do whatever you want. Life doesn't matter. Can't get me. (laughs) That didn't work either. That wasn't sustainable. So now, yeah, like in that poem, it's like, fine. You know what? Life is going to be here. Life is going to go. And it really does feel like a dream because now when I think about Leah touching me, she only exists in my memories. Those moments only exist in my internal world in the same way that dreams do. I'm the only one that experiences my dreams. I'm the only, it's it's this like lighter memory that is not as strong, but I can see it if I focus in long enough, but, but it's not here anymore in this present moment reality. So it passed, but I felt all of it. The courage lies in experiencing that connection, having it go away, and then being willing to re-engage just as deeply the next opportunity that I have to connect. And that's when I realized that I'm going to die at one point. 
And now at this point, I'm going to allow death and grief to take to push me deeper into life because there's going to come a point where I'm not here anymore and I'm not going to feel these human emotions. I'm not going to feel the moments of pettiness. I'm not going to feel the moments of attachment. I'm not going to feel the pleasures of ice cream, you know, like I'm not going to feel the sun on my physical skin anymore. So now I allow death and the passings and the endings of things to show me, to take me deeper into the present moment rather than disconnected from it. Because what, what's the point of dying while I'm still alive? Like there's going to be a point where I'm not human anymore. I'm not in this vessel. I'm not going to feel the shoulder pain that I, you know, I have shoulder pain right now, like whatever, like that's part of being in this vessel and just buckle up for the ride. And so that's what I feel now. You know, I mean, obviously there's moments that come in and I'm very, very human and I'm going to cry and I'm going to grieve. But then there's this like bigger awareness that comes in. And I can almost feel Leah being like, you know, this is my experience, right? Being like, really, Paula? Really? Like, you know, you, you know. And this is kind of what I wanted to ask you, TJ. Like, what did Noodle do in terms of your connection to the spiritual world? Oh, well, I, we talked, you, I heard, we talked about this for a moment, I think, um, you know, when Leah passed, you said you felt her like jump into your chest, right? That's how I would describe it too. When I was holding Noodle and my friend was helping him pass, I felt, I felt him jump into my heart. Like I felt it. When Noodle passed, he, I, I like felt my heart. I felt like a, like a seed planted in my heart or, or something that wasn't, uh, like a, like ignited, ignited in my heart. Like he became a part of me, but he also wasn't a part of me. Right. And, um, and that, that feeling opened up a craving for that feeling, that connectiveness to myself, to that, to my heart, to his energy. And what happened is I, all of a sudden started having all these like almost involuntary spiritual experiences with guides or with noodle would come through or like people were like, Oh, your yoga classes are so much better, but it's not me. It wasn't me. It's just my desire to connect with my heart to connect with noodle was so potent that it was opening up all of the, all, all the 360 degrees of me. There was no filter. There wasn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing. I was conscious of it. Sagrera actually helped me with it, but I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I just knew I wanted to connect to noodle. So I put, I opened, I just opened up all everything. And a lot of, a lot of help came through like a lot. And so many, like at one point it was scary. Like it was one point I saw someone and it was, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. And it was a guide coming through. Like, and I saw him in physical form and it was just crazy. I'd never experienced that before myself. And so, you know, that's definitely trimmed back a lot. I've, I've learned how to, uh, instead of just having this like radical expression, I've learned to kind of narrow it down and, and, and maybe be able to to file things in different categories that I can access or ask for or reach out for or connect with. But yeah, losing Noodle, my desperation to bring him back from the dead was so potent that it almost evaporated all of my self-imposed restrictions for connecting to source. 
I am actually feeling some of that. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's different this time in terms of, you know, my relationship to death. I, I, there's a stubbornness in me at the same time of the acceptance that I'm like, mm-mm, no, this isn't, mm-mm, this isn't the last time we're going to connect. We're going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to figure out a way. <laughs> I'm going to figure out a way for us to continue tapping into each other there. That's there. I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but I can sense that with Leah choosing to cross over to spiritual world, there's a part of me that's opening up to being like, all right, we, we're about to be in communication with that other side. When noodle, when noodle passed, I had, I don't even know how many people I would say six people, six different people had dreams about him and me and they would come and tell me, or one time I was touching, uh, someone's shoulders during Shavasana teaching yoga. And she said that all of a sudden she's sensed a bright light. And then like noodles head poked around the back and he was like, who are you? Why is my mom touching you? Kind of thing. Like he's opened up. It's just, you are, you already are. It's the mind that tells us that we're not connected to them. Right. Leah's already a hundred thousand percent with you. It's just the mind that we have to, we have to remember. We have to remember that how to connect we already know we just have to remember it we have to surrender into (laughs) it that's why in the last podcast with alexander james we were talking about coming back home to ourselves and it's like all of these tools and tactics to like get there get there get there and it's like no it's to to be so you can realize that you're already Mm. there you're already home you're already connected it's just you have to be reminded a little bit or shaken into it, or, or go through whatever experiences you need to go through to make you realize, like, oh, I'm already this, like, fucking light that's connected to all of those stars. An, individ- an individual expression of the same source. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. I think that's the art form of learning to move through life and grief and loss and attachment is it's a, to- it's a surrendering mixed with a courage to continue to feel equally as deep. Well, let's do this meditation. Okay. Yay. All right. So sit well. And I'm going to use descriptive words as if you're seated. So if you're lying down, just fill in your own words. But in your seat, just rest your hands in your lap, palms up or palms down, or you could fold them together in your lap, whatever is kind of comfortable. And take a big inhale. Just sigh your breath out. Make an audible exhale. Just let any tension or static leave your body. Take another inhale. And slowly exhale through your nostrils. Take another inhale, and this time, at the top of your inhale, hold your inhale for four, three, two, one. And as slowly as you'll allow yourself, start to exhale. Notice your feet. and the backs of your knees. 
Notice the bones of your hips, your tailbone. Let your elbows be heavy as they move your shoulders further away from your ears. Notice the weight of your palms, the sense of touch in your fingertips. Notice how far your thumb is away from your index finger. Move your shoulders over your hips, and then your ears over your shoulders. Relax behind your ears. The hinge of your jaw. And the back of your throat. Relax the edges of your scalp. And the space behind your eyes. And bring the awareness to the layer of air that surrounds you. Almost like a blanket or a second layer of skin. Allow this layer of energy around you to be light, as if you're in a cocoon of light. This cocoon of light wraps around you completely. And it's a protective cocoon of light. While you're wrapped up in this body of light, nothing can harm you emotionally. Nothing can harm you spiritually. Nothing can harm you physically. And nothing can harm you mentally. Only what serves your highest good is allowed to come into this body of light. As you're safely bundled in this body of light, imagine yourself over or seated on some earth. Maybe imagine yourself in a valley, in your backyard, or a park, maybe even just a pot of soil in your living room or your kitchen.
and across from you, seated across from you, is your animal, your companion you've lost. Imagine, maybe imagine their breath or the way light hit their whiskers or their fur or their feathers. Imagine what their feet look like. And their little nose. Now inside your heart or your chest or maybe your belly or your abdomen, chances are that's where you're storing your grief. Maybe the parts of your grief that haven't been looked at or talked to or held or witnessed. Imagine removing those parts of your grief, your sadness, from your body. Or if that doesn't feel safe, maybe just a sample, maybe just a little bit, or maybe a lot. Imagine holding it in your hands. And in that dirt and that ground between you and your companion, Plant that grief, like planting a seed. Dig a hole, plant the seed of grief. Cover it back up. Maybe while you Connect with your companion seated across from you. Allow your grief to grow. Allow it to grow into what it's there to help you surrender into. What it's there to help you remember. What it's there to show you. Maybe in this moment, it doesn't actually manifest into anything that the mind can register or recognize, and that's okay. Our grief might feel sad or dark or scary or any number of things. But it, it is love. And it is there to help us remember. It is there as can be used as a tool to help us surrender.
Maybe come back to noticing your companion across from you. Maybe imagine giving your companion a hug or a kiss. And then just trust. Just allow the grief to grow into whatever it's there to grow into. Without trying to make sense of it or turn it into anything. And take a big breath in. And exhale. You can wiggle toes and fingers. Maybe blink your eyes open if you're ready. And just come back. Someone told me about that meditation, that they did it with something they were going through with a parent that they had. When she told me that she was, she practiced it to deal with some stuff that was going on with her parent, I realized that that would be something I could do for Noodle and me. When I was in Peru, I found this tree, this tree in this middle of this property that the property was actually built around to honor this tree. I didn't know it was there. I just like involuntarily started walking to it. And it's like a 1200 year old tree. And I plopped down in front of that tree and I did that meditation. And what I received from that meditation was that my grief had to hurt that bad. I had to be in that much pain because that's how much, on the opposite end of that spectrum, that's how much I had loved Noodle. So to not have him in his physical form anymore, the, the amount that I loved him, it had to hurt that bad. And that's when I realized that in order to feel anything, I had to feel everything. I tried to, I had tried to numb my feelings, my sadness for Noodle. Even coffee, food. Food and coffee were two of the, the things I used the most to numb. And in order to feel my love and my sadness for Noodle, I couldn't numb anything. I couldn't numb, I couldn't pretend that I was numbing other pieces of my life to make more room for my experience of Noodle outside of life. I had to, I had to clean up my act across my life. So I could, if I wanted to feel the love that I had for Noodle and, and feel connection to Noodle, and I had to feel the sh can I cuss? the shittiest stuff. I had to feel, I couldn't be apathetic. <laughs> that was not an option. That meditation helped me, helped me understand that. Yeah, that was beautiful. Good. Glad that you feel that way. Yeah, all I could feel during mine was just like how loving and playful she was with me. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. I don't think it. Ha I I don't think that meditation has to mean like some kind of flower grows or some giant explanation grows. But I think it's it's again it's opening up that door. It's 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 helping write encode. It's helping change the coding of our the way our minds work. And, and, and opening up to possibility of 
my sister said uh one time i one time i got stung by a bunch of hornets like seven i got seven hornet bites and i was all upset and i'm driving home and then i hit a bird and so i i just like yeah i like fell i just fell up i crumbled and i called my i didn't know what to do so i called my sister who's highly intuitive and i was like oh I, she was like well can you can you get down can you go to your tailbone and then and from there which you know grounding right go to your tailbone and from there can you can you can you sense what all of this is for and i was like ah and i was all in my head i was all like in my shoulders and i was like no i i think i think you know i had to do because i shouldn't be at my godmother the hornets were at my godmother's house and she's like almost 90 and this is covid times i think the hornets were there so that i didn't you know, interact with my godmother in case she got COVID. And then I hit the bird because I needed to slow down. And she was like, okay, okay, okay. Those are all your mind. That's your mind. That's the thinking brain. But if you get down in your tailbone, which for me, meditation does, right? Get down in your tailbone. Can you let it unfold like a blossom? And I think that that's for me, that meditation to sit and plant my grief, let my thinking mind not be in control. I let the imaginative part of me show up and 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 then I learned a lesson, a huge one. Doesn't mean it took the grief away, but it, <laughs> it definitely made it worth it to realize that I I had to feel that bad. I had to because that's how much I loved him. Then it was like, oh, well, thanks, grief. When it would shows up, like just you know, whatever, twenty minutes ago, thirty minutes ago, when when I had to take a break because I was crying so hard, right? Like, thank you. Thanks for reminding me how much I loved Noodle. Yeah, that's what it is. You know, I think if I, if I would want to pass on anything from this podcast on my end is do not fear grief. It's another form of love. Yeah. It rounds out this human experience. Why do we try to, why do we think we are supposed to skip that part? You were saying the last one we tried to do this podcast before. It's like a badge of honor grief yeah that elizabeth uh gilbert quote you sent me says it perfectly like it's an honor to be in grief it's an honor to feel that much to have loved that much amen this is life we didn't we weren't born here to shy away from that also it just shows you how how your capacity to love you actually get you have a daily reminder of how strong you are because you can choose to love that hard. You can step into the vulnerability of loving that hard and that deeply. You have a daily reminder. Leah gave you that. That was a gift. It was a parting gift. Remember? Remember how, how strong you are to be and how vulnerable you're able to be, how courageous you are? No? Cool. Well, here's a piece of my hair on your clothes. Now, now remember. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, you know, during that meditation, it was just like, nah. You're not going anywhere. You're right here with me. This love is not going to go anywhere. It's just not, it's not there. Love like that isn't the human thinking mind cannot understand that. It is not, time is not a boundary for that love. Light, being in life, quote unquote, or not is not a boundary for that kind of love. Distance isn't a boundary for that love. Cognizance isn't a boundary for that love. There's no... That type of love has is is infinite. It's infinite. It's only the human mind. I'm the I'm the one. My human body is the one that wants noodle back. Not my soul. Not my heart. 
Now my heart gets to be with Noodle all the time because he's not confined to a human or a, a physical body. He's everywhere now instead of just in that little sweet body. Big sweet body because he was a big juicy boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels. Like, nah, you're coming with me. You're here. You're here to stay. I will say that one of the things that Sagrera definitely gave me, I asked her, so what are the things that she would do? I don't know if she's still doing these now, but one of the things she would do is you could ask like 10 or so questions. And so I asked to, to like, I asked, so I sent her an email and I was like, Hey, these are the questions I want to ask noodle when you talk to him and then whatnot. And so one of the things I asked her was, I want to wear a piece of jewelry for noodle every day what should I wear? Should it have a stone? And she, and he told her sapphires that he wanted to wear. Sapphires were his favorite. And so I got little sapphire, my friend's pieces of star made me little sapphire earrings, um, cosmic, cosmic, uh, sapphire earrings to wear for him. That was, that was, that was, that's pretty cool. I hope you get to talk to Sagrera. I I want to talk to her, but I, I am feeling like I want to carry, like I'm gonna, you know, I'm, you know, I've got this very like tribal relationship to death sometimes. Like I don't mind having skulls around or no, yeah, things like that by any means. You don't mind. She's playing it safe. She loves having <laughs> skulls around. Not only does she not mind. <laughs> Paula lives in a cave. She's a cave woman. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't have. I don't try to have a sanitized relationship to death. Or there's nothing sterile about it. Like if I could have kept Leah's skull, I would have, you know, that might freak some people out, but I honored the flesh and the bones and every part of like what that body was. Um, but she's cremated now. And that took me a moment to like come to terms with, you know, and, but I'm, I want to put it in a necklace and take her with me. There, there's something to be said for adornments. Yeah. You know, kind of getting back to our roots of, of ritual and, and adornments and symbolism and all those things and, and art and creation, all those things are here to help our humanity integrate with that spiritual boundless essence and to make sense of it and honor it in a way that we can still grab it concretely, which our human form asks for. So there's something of compassion to allow ourselves it's kind of a, you know those rituals and the symbolism and the dormant and, and all that it's for me it's the coming together of of those two worlds have you opened up her ashes yet yeah they're like little pieces that are a little bit bigger in there that might yeah, feel there's... <laughs> you can get pieces of her skull yeah. paula <laughs> <laughs> For your primal satisfaction. <laughs> There's little pieces. It's like little bones. Yeah. You know, I carry it around. I'm like, eh, that's interesting. You know, I was, there's this, this guy, this friend of mine, and we were talking about it. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe I didn't keep her skull. And then he had to like take me through the whole, like, well, there's a, a disintegration that takes place and like all this stuff. And he's like, and I can't believe that I'm having this conversation. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? Something that this that Leah's passing has given me is a seed of wanting to get more connected to death rituals and to the history of that as humanity, because why is that not a conversation that we're comfortable having or having most of the time? Like death is just as much here as life is. We can't even have a conversation about wearing masks during a pandemic. Do you think the general population is ready to look at death? Thinking about who I was before I 
started looking at what I would have called the darkness. I just still call the darkness, but now it's like a term of endearment. But I never would have been, if I had seen like skulls or bones or Kali, I would have turned away. I've been like, oh, I don't do dark stuff. I don't do dark stuff. But now like, you know, I wear jewelry for Kali. I have Kali uh, art on my walls. I have, you know. What, yeah, what is Kali? Oh, Kali is a, a goddess in Hinduism. And she's the goddess of discernment. And she's black from the ashes of her children's ego. So like we're her children, right? And she's got a mala, so a necklace of severed heads and her skirts made out of severed arms. And she has like a bright red tongue and she carries a blood cup and a, and a, I don't know the name of it, but it's like the crescent shaped weapon. Um, and she's like fierce. She, she fierce. <laughs> and before I started tapping into, before I dove into darkness on purpose, before I dove into pain and, and, and the, and the, and the, stuff I didn't want to see. The first time I did that was through the help of Kali-like energy. And ever since then, she's been like my jam because it's not, it's, it's the attachments that make things like that difficult. Right. So like people being afraid to talk about death, right. The general population. Yeah. Death is, death is every single day, especially right now, but we can't, no one wants to talk about it because it's not, you have to be really strong to talk about it and love it. You have to be really strong to look at something that's going to be painful and be like, all right, I'm going to do this and jump into it. That takes a lot of strength, sometimes accidental strength. Like for me, the first time I purposely jumped into it, I didn't, I don't know if I would have done it if I had known it was going to hurt as bad as it did, but it also didn't hurt as bad as I thought it would at the same time, if that makes any sense. It hurts more when we resist it. Totally. But like talking about death, I don't, I don't, it's just, are, what cultures do talk about death? I don't know, but I'm on the hunt to find them because <laughs> I want to move to a, a place that they celebrate death and they celebrate women and men growing older and the wisdom that comes with the wrinkles and the, the disintegration of youth. Like I am hungry to dive into that because it is just the most natural beautiful thing it's like we're I see death as we're going back home and everything that this society promotes is like stay here stay here stay here stay young don't grow da -da 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 -da. and it's just so contradictory to evolution you can't evolve yeah. this this society a lot of this is parts of this society they don't want us to evolve and that's just so unnatural from like what we came here to do. There's there's poetry in the in the decay. All right. Okay. The last question that we always ask Tej <laughs> is, as you know, <laughs> is what does what is mental health for you right now? I didn't practice this time. <laughs> my experience of my my mental health this past year has definitely take on, I've had a lot more opportunities to explore my mental state this past year because it's been ups and downs, you know, and within the same day, ups and downs, because it's, it's been a lot. This has been an incredibly tumultuous year. Like it's, it's strange, it's weird. And I, you know, it's great. It's a wonderful reminder of who I am. And the thing that, the thing that I, that I'm, that I'm practicing 
every time things shift and change is is practicing just remembering the, the the impermanence of every every single every single feeling the impermanence of it if i try to hold happiness in my hand i can't i can't it's it's not i can't hold on to it if i try to hold sadness in my hand i try to grip it really hard and hold on to the sadness i can't it's completely impermanent nothing there is no feeling emotion sensation there's no permanence to any of it so let's say i'm in a moment when it's really difficult Oh, well, okay. Try to hold on to it. Try to make it absolute truth of every day of the rest of your life. It's impossible. And once I realize that, once I get a moment enough, coherence enough to, to realize the impermanence of every emotion, then it's like just riding. It's like ri sitting on a float and riding the waves. Sometimes I fall back in. <laughs> I have to crawl back up on the float. <laughs> but, you know, it's a practice. It's a practice. Practicing. Oh, okay. So there's that feeling. There's that emotion. Great. Let's try not to ruin too many lives as I'm tearing the house apart with this feeling <laughs> before it goes away and changes. I really Getting back that. up on that float. So ladies, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I thank you. I love you guys. Love you guys. I love you too. Thank you for thank you for I, I'm I'm very grateful to the two of you and for joining me in this dialogue in you know doing an honor to our animals and, and giving me that you know giving each other that extra space to release just a little more of that energy and, and love on it yeah so thank you thanks y'all thanks tj we'll have you back for round <laughs> <Okay>. three <laughs> what will it be what about, will it be about? We don't know yet <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys thanks so much for listening to this week's episode we missed you guys last week but now you know why we had to take some time off we love you with our whole souls los queremos mucho los queremos mucho and be kind to yourselves if you are not following us on instagram we are at pretty mental official follow us join the call all the juicy talks. DM us. Say hi to us. Say yes, something. Yes, yes. yes. Bye.